Didn't they do a great job today with Nate out of town? Thank you, Wanda. Thank you all. Our worship leader, Nate, whom all of you love and know, is out of town today and thought they did a great job. Thank you so much. Uh, we're excited to start a new series, Can You See Him? It's, uh, we're going to be looking at these Old Testament passages and saying, you know, what is the foreshadowing of the coming Christ? What's the foreshadowing that we see in these Old Testament passages that build what the writer of Hebrews and other writers said that they were looking forward to, to the promise, to the much better promise of the one that was to come. And we believe that when you go through the Old Testament that you're not going to find Jesus under every rock, that you're not going to find Jesus in every story. We're not going to try to make things where there are not things, but there are very clearly foreshadowing and typologies in some of these central narratives in the Old Testament that point to the Messiah in a much better way. And so I think it's appropriate that we start by showing you where Jesus isn't, okay? There are lots of people that say, hey, I saw Jesus here, and one of which is mudslide Jesus, okay? So I don't know if you see Jesus there. I definitely don't see Jesus in mudslide Jesus. This is in San Francisco, so not much may surprise you there. Um, and so, but no, what's great, this happened on personal property. A mudslide took place. And then, of course, leave it to American ingenuity and capitalism to charge to come see mudslide Jesus. And uh, so this is really here in the great United States of America, mudslide Jesus. One of my all-time favorites is, uh, is plumbing pipe Jesus right there. This is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This was it when they started ripping it off by, beside the, the bathtub. And this is it blown up here. All right, so that's the, the actual location then blown up here. And uh, believe it or not, this sold on eBay for $1,999.99. Just here to let you know the facts. All right, now maybe one of the all-time best is Kit Kat Jesus. Have you seen Kit Kat Jesus? Look for him. Look for him. Do you see Kit Kat Jesus? So the man reporting Kit Kat Jesus, and this is the, according to Cody, his favorite chocolate bar. What kind of chocolate bar is it? I don't know. It's chunky Kit Kat, supposedly. Because the skinny Kit Kats, I don't think there's enough room for, for Kit Kat Jesus in there. But um, he said, I took one bite and I knew it was divine. I'm just, just, just reporting what I read, just the facts here. One man responded, it doesn't look like Jesus looks more like Darth Vader, but okay. Okay, that's Kit Kat Jesus. And then, now, this one's hard to see, but look for the red circle on the chicken. That's a chicken, right? And look at the face and the chicken feathers. I lie to you not. You can't make this up. I mean, this, it's, it's hard maybe to see on your screen. It's easier to see on my screen up here. But right here... Look at the red circle, and then you see eye, eye, nose, face. They actually, the friend called his cop friend to come out, and it was a policeman that photographed this because he wanted it documented that it was like, look, it's undeniable. Jesus is in my chicken. I don't know. I mean, but, I mean, the places that you'll find Jesus, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. And you know what? I'm only picking a few. I mean, you search this on Google, and we're not talking about Photoshop. These are real people that believe this stuff. Well, this is an all-time best right here. This is cloud Jesus looking over us. So this is from the sky, cloud Jesus. All right. 
And then how about in the sonogram, Jesus? I lied to you not. So here is the picture blown up from the sonogram, from their, from their baby. And look, I know Jesus is with the infants. I'm just wondering about this one. All right, so this is sonogram Jesus here. This is, this is a good one. And then maybe my all-time favorite, grilled Jesus. And uh, now, obviously, this was Photoshopped. So just, just so you know, that is the only one that, that's Photoshopped. So you, I don't want you to think I believe that one. But, you know, in, in each of these pictures, the question is, can you see him? Well, certainly people find him in much uh, places that you may not see him and I might not see him. And like I said, there was myriads more on the Internet of people that say, I saw Jesus here or I saw Jesus there. There was a a telephone pole with ivy on it and it looked like the cross. And people would say, I saw him there. And, and, you know, today what we want to point out as we look at Genesis and skip over a few slides here just for the sake of time, um, you know, that there are clear pictures of Jesus where we don't have to read into it. I mean, we don't have to read into it and strain real hard to say, okay, what's going on? And maybe those were images that Jesus Christ put in those situations. I don't know. I think there's a lot of men that can uh, do anything to make a dollar, right? So call me a skeptic, right? So I, I don't believe in everything that I see, especially now with the internet. Believe it or not, don't believe everything that you see on the internet. And, um, but I, I know this, that Jesus is clearly, clearly present all throughout the Old Testament. And building these pictures, building these foreshadowings of a Savior that is to come, and much better than the types and the shadows of the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews and the writer of the New Testament, in many things said, we had but shadows, but now the promise has come. But I think it's important to show the shadows that are in the Old Testament. Why? To show God's commitment, to show God's heart, to show God's the central narrative of 66 books, 45 authors written in three different languages in multiple continents over decades, centuries. One theme that God desires children, his children, us, you and me, to know him and to enjoy him and to glorify him forever. The story of Noah doesn't start off that positive. If you start in verse 5 here in Genesis chapter 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. I mean, this is depressing. This is like Genesis chapter 6. Adam and Eve just got expelled from the garden. We got Cain killing his brother Abel. And now we got this. The heart of man is on wicked continually. It's evil. And like here in the 21st century, we're like, man, people are so evil. People are so bad. No, we just know about it more readily because of technology and news and the internet. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. This is God's frustration. And, and you're going to see this in verse 6. And the Lord regretted, and we're going to unpack that. What does it mean? How can a sovereign divine being have regret? That he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. First principle that we see is there's unbelievable wickedness. There's unbelievable wickedness on this earth. And I don't have to convince any of you of that. The second principle that we see is that God hates sin. God hates sin and it will be judged. And what is this? God is not like us. We were like him. We were created in his image. 
God said, let us make man in our image. So does God have emotion? Yes, God has, we, were, we have emotion. We were created in his image. This is not regret the way that we think about regret in terms of, oh, I made a mistake. This is, God is grieved over his creation. God is grieved over the fallenness, and that's not his fault. That was our fault in the garden when we rejected him. That's our fault. God did not create evil. The potential for rejection of God was always there because God didn't create robots. God created children with free will. God did not create evil. The potential was there, and we rejected him, and we brought death into the world. And that was not his plan. That was our plan. Did he know it? Yes, he knew it. And there is, he is grieved. There is frustration. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out the man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals are creeping things in the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. We see this continued from verse 6, that God hates sin, and it will be judged. God shall not be mocked. We are the ultimate expression of his creation. And yet verse 5 said, what? Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of the thoughts of his heart were on evil continually. I was I went to one news source last night. Just just one news source and I picked one 3-hour window of news articles. And I was telling Cody about it this morning, Pastor Cody, who baptized his brother Dylan, and he's like, "Where did you go to find these morbid stories?" I'm like, "I went to one trusted, reputable news source, and in one three-hour window, here here was the top. Here was the top headlines. Right, top headlines: Mother in Pennsylvania holds two-year-old over the cheetah pit at the zoo. Have you heard this one? This happened two days ago. Mother in Pennsylvania holds two-year-old playing. Oh, what if I dropped you? She drops him. The idiot drops her two-year-old son in the cheetah pit. Thank God the boy is alive. Unfortunately, he has to live with that idiot for the rest of his life. But this is, what, this is the world we're living in. In Ohio, a mother leaves her son quadriplegic with cerebral palsy in the woods for three days while she goes and sees her boyfriend. You can't make this stuff up. Pennsylvania, Ohio, here, Alabama can outdo it. There was a young girl... There was, an, there was a young girl that was drugged and abused, I'm using PG version language, and abused by three men, recorded, witnessed by 200 men and women. Witnessed, 200 men and women, 200 men and women witnessed the abuse. Okay, how do we know this? The cops arrested one of the perpetrators for another crime, picked up his phone. They started going through his videos. The whole thing was videoed. Whole thing was videoed. Over 200 men and women witnessed it, did not do a thing about it. She was drugged. She was abused. She was, it was awful, awful. The cops are arresting every single one of those men and women that saw it and ruined this they can find. This is the world we live in. That was one window of news from last night that I just pulled. I, I could have expanded it, but we're all just going to want to say, oh, Jesus, come quickly because this world is messed up. And that's where we're at, right here. Their heart's on evil continually. So when we, if we peel back too much, we're just like, man, 
There was this powerful scene in Hotel Rwanda that I challenge you that you all need to watch this movie, not children, adults. Okay, you need to watch Schindler's List. You need to watch movies like that. Why? They're depressing. It's depravity. And our only hope is Jesus. Don Cheadle comes across this video clip of what was happening to the Tutsis there in Rwanda in the early 90s, 20 years ago, how they were being killed and brutalized with machetes. And he goes to Joaquin Phoenix to say, you've got to put, you got to send this back to America. Put it on CNN, put it on Fox News, let everyone see it. Joaquin Phoenix says, the people in America don't want their evening dinner ruined. They'll turn off the TV. Whether that's true or not, we don't like to think about these things. But these things are real. And these things are happening. And there's a few options. We can get depressed. We can get sad. We can get mad. We can go the world's route and be vigilantes, this, that, whatever. Or we can say, no, there is another way, and it's the way of Jesus. And there is hope in Christ. And we have hope, not in this earth, but in the earth that is to come, in the new heaven, in the new earth. And because there is hope in the midst of all this depravity, in the midst of all this barbarism, look at verse 8 with Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is so powerful because in the midst of of verses 5, 6, and 7, I mean, we're just getting it raw. We're getting the straight news raw that there is just man's heart is on wicked continually. Their heart is evil. It's disgusting. I mean, God's looking down from heaven. God is in the midst of all this, and God is grieved. God is overwhelmed with how awful humanity is. But what does he see? This but, but. Noah. And this favor is on the vertical level. On the vertical level between God and Noah, he found favor because of his faith. Noah is a righteous man in the midst of a crooked generation. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now what's powerful here is not only did Noah find vertical favor, but he had horizontal favor even in the midst of a crooked generation. Look, he was a righteous man and he was blameless and he walked with God. I mean, what if this was said of you and me? What if this was said of us? How powerful this is. This description of Noah, can you say Josh is righteous because of his faith in Christ, blameless in his horizontal relationships and in his character, and he walked with God. That's a challenge to you. That's a challenge to me. Not to be perfect. Noah wasn't perfect. Hebrews said that he was saved by faith, that he believed, and his faith took action. In Hebrews chapter 11, he makes the the hall of faith. So he wasn't saved because he was perfect. He was perfectible, though. He had his eyes on Jesus, and he knew that all of the atrocities, all of the the sin and the shenanigans that all of his neighbors were indulging in, they didn't bring life. They didn't bring pleasure. It was temporary pleasure that brought death, so therefore you can't call it good. It only brought death. And in the midst of that, Noah didn't follow the crowd. Can you imagine how tough it is? God saves eight people, 
We're about to see it. God only saves Noah's family. God would have saved more. There weren't more. There weren't more. Noah's family was saved. That's it. So in the midst of such darkness, there is hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ that if Noah can do it, we can do it. We can live rightly and walk blamelessly with our faith, with our eyes set on Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see here is an awesome plan by God. And I love this, that in the midst of such corruption, in the midst of such death, God has not given up his plan. God started with Adam and Eve and had a plan for us, for you, for me, to know him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him. Sin marred that experience. Sin took us on a detour. And in here, we're like, man, what is God going to do? Is God going to just wipe it out? No, God's going to reboot it. God's going to start over with Noah's family. But he didn't extinguish the plan. He just starts over with one good man. Now we know now, removed a few thousand years, that the further we get from that source, it gets evil. I mean, it didn't take long. What did Noah's daughters do with Noah when they got off the boat? We'll save that for another time. So it's crazy. It's crazy what can happen. But still one man that walks righteously and blamelessly. And God says, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God says to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is judgment. And that's what, when we correlate baptism, baptism and the flood is judgment. The flood was judgment. It was judgment. I will judge. Sin has consequences. People will answer for what they have done. And that's what the cross in the same picture of, in baptism represent that Jesus was judged. In the flood, we see judgment, that God will not be mocked. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. He says, I will destroy them. There is sin, there will be judgment, but praise God, there is new life. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. It's astronomically large. It's unbelievable. It's phenomenal. And it's nothing like the movie with Russell Crowe that was depicted, this very enigmatic, loosely spiritual relationship. No. I mean, or if you saw the new Gods and Kings with, with uh, Christian Bell and Moses and Ramses and where, you know, God is, you know, this little boy. That's not the relationship that we see here in Scripture. What we see is a divine, infinite, infallible being that chooses to be intimate with his child, Noah. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And he speaks to him. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build this. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the floor of the ark in its side. Make it lower with lower second and third decks. I mean, details. It's so cool. 
God gives him details. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters that is the judgment upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. This is powerful, eight of them. And this covenant is a promise of something better. Because God says at the end of it all, I've made a covenant with you, and the covenant is this, that I will not destroy the whole earth again with water. Now, this earth, the the qualifier is, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And a lot of us view the Noahic covenant as this covenant here that God references in verse 18. We view it in the negative. Oh, well, God's not going to destroy all mankind with the flood again. But you need to view it in the positive. And when we preached on this a couple years ago, we said you've got to state this in the positive. State it in the positive. It reads like this. It's not what I'm not going to do. It's what I will do. What I will do is I will preserve. I will keep my promise. I will uphold. And it's foreshadowing of a much better and greater covenant that will be enacted by Jesus Christ. When Noah gets off the ark, what does he do? He sacrifices to God. Not the two by two. He brought some sacrifice, uh, some animals for sacrifice, right? And there is a picture that there is a much better sacrifice, a once-for-all sacrifice, Jesus. This is the covenant that is established by God to Noah. It's the plan. We keep reading, And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Well, that's pretty cool. Could it be said of Josh? Could it be said of Brian? Could it be said of Tim? Could it be said of John? Could it be said of Bill? He did all that God commanded him. What a powerful note. What a powerful statement of Noah's heart that he did all. He was obedient. He was obedient. In verse 1, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. Go into the ark and you and all in your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. It's so powerful when we think about God's grace and mercy. It's so powerful when we think where we are in this earth, when it's so easy to get discouraged, when it's so easy to get overwhelmed and to say, God, where's the hope? Where's the plan? God has a plan. God had a plan then. God has a plan now. Sin will be judged. People will answer. It is appointed that every man shall live once. He shall die and he shall give a reckoning. He shall give a reckoning. Sin will not go unpunished. God will not be mocked. And here we see that the plan 
is this ark. And a lot of people will try to say, well, see, the ark was wood and then the cross was wood. Or there's all kinds of fun facts about it, like that the ark landed on the same day that Jesus was crucified in the, in the Hebraic calendar. And that's cool. Like, if you want to read into those things, that's fine. But where I see Christ clearly is in chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 11, in chapter 8 and 9, when, when Noah, not Moses, when Noah gets off the ark, there's a promise in chapter 8, verse 22, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never c- cease. The covenant is less about what he won't do again and more about what he plans to bring about in the future. It's not about what he won't do, but what he will do and what he will bring to pass. And Noah takes the animals and he makes sacrifice. And as I alluded to a minute ago, those sacrifices had to be made year after year after year. But the writer of Hebrews said, there is a much better and a new covenant that will be enacted. And it is not brought about by hands and human flesh. It is brought about by God. And there is no need for perpetual sacrifice, but there is a once-for-all sacrifice. And that was the God-man, Jesus Christ. I encourage you to read Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, where they speak of the shadow, but then the substance that has come is Jesus. Would you close your eyes with me now? As we prepare to respond in song, in worship, I want you to think about the promise in this way. One great writer said, the promise of Noah, we see God saying, I will uphold rather than destroy the natural world processes on which you depend for life. As long as the world lasts, I will withhold universal judgment like this and preserve the order of creation. It is a picture of great sadness in the world, a picture of great depravity, a picture of great sin. And God will judge that. He will not be mocked in that. Yet there is hope. God has a plan. And it is to preserve and it is to bring to pass a generation of people that are called by his name that would know him and enjoy him and glorify him. We see it in the eight and we see it in us still today. It was so easy for the prophet to say, oh God, who is there but me? And God responded, how foolish. I have many that have not bowed a knee to bow. We are not alone. We are not alone. God has a plan. And with your eyes closed and your head bowed, where are you in this plan? There's no promise of tomorrow. There is today. And we humans were such a feckle lot, so fickle, just tossed to and fro with emotions and actions and behaviors. 
And it's hard to be said of us that we walk blamelessly and righteously and intimately the way that it was said of Noah. Doing those things don't save you. But because we are saved, we are to walk in that way. Do you believe and do you live like you believe? Do I believe and do I live like I believe? Or do we cause confusion in the way that we walk and talk? Jesus Christ was judged. He is the once for all sacrifice that died so that we could live. That message is not an Easter message. That is an everyday message. That is the gospel message that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you will live because I live. I will defeat death. I will die in your place. I will take your sin. I will take your shame. And now I offer you life. He did not die so we could play games. He died so we could live and live to the max and live to the fullest and enjoy him and glorify him forever. There's only grace that abounds when the gospel is preached. Are you clinging to that grace now for the first time or for the 31st time? The story of Noah is not a pleasant one. The story of Noah is about death and judgment. And yet there is hope. And the hope is in God. May our hope be in him today. May we cling to him. May we not leave as those that do not have hope, but we are ones with hope, with one in an unshakable promise from God that he will preserve and he will bring to pass. It is not one of what he won't do in destroying the earth. It is one of what he will do in preserving. Cling to him today. Worship him today. Sing to him today. Pray to him today. Hold up your hands to him today and say, God, there's unforgiveness in my heart. There's bitterness in my heart. There's hurt in my heart. I've experienced some of the pain of this fallen earth. I give that to you. I have questions. I have angst. I have insecurities. I have anxieties. I have depression. I have addictions. I have codependencies. I have independence issues. I have this issue and that issue. But Jesus, I lay them at your feet. I lay my pain, I lay my questions, I lay my hurt. And I say, Jesus, you died for it all so that I could live. In a very real and amazing and supernatural way, God wants to speak to each of us at the same time right now and minister to us. Allow him in. Don't be bitter. Don't be a gossip. I'm preaching to myself. Be forgiven. Jesus took the judgment. Jesus took the flood. And when we were baptized, it was a picture of that judgment. And all the sin washed away. And when we come forth, we come forth as new creations, unified in him. New life and new hope and new purity. We don't have to do the things that we used to do because we're no longer the people that we used to be. 
we are his children, redeemed, loved, and forgiven. 